This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Wanted the penalty yardage to go for two. And the snap goes right through the hands. It's loose. Colorado could scoop. And there they go. How about this turnaround? Instead of taking the one point, Colorado gets two on the botched snap play by the Oregon State offense and their offensive line, a seven-minute drive. Tanner Miller, normally a right guard, is at center with the hot snap back to DJ. What a turn of events here in Boulder. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Drotar. That's Sandy Clough. Danny Bailey is in the booth. That from the ESPN broadcast on Saturday night. The Buffaloes fall to the number 16-ranked Oregon State Beavers, 26-19, to and we will dig into that. But one thing to note, obviously with that very uh, exciting and fun play, by the way, the last time that had happened was against Nebraska. I remember it well. I was do you, there. Do you remember who brought it I back? I remember it well. 1991. Yeah. Greg Beaker. Greg Beaker. Yeah. He brings it back. Yeah, to, I can see him running in the snow. Yep, exactly. That was the last time that had happened. Uh, it was the and highlight it, for it the Buffs. A, uh, see you a tie with Nebraska, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. At the time. One of the few times in the 90s that CU did not get plastered by Nebraska. Yeah. One of the few. Yeah, 2000s, it changed. Early 2000s, it changed back, and we all remember 62 to 36. Yes. But in With the 90s, Green. wins against Nebraska were, I'm sure they beat them. They tied them, though, that one time. Up in they the got them up there that one time. That was the highlight for well, the, it was. Uh, the bus was the, the scoring highlight because for CU. Because get this. Um, not an exaggeration. At the time of that play, that was an 88-yard return because of the the way the, the penalty had brought the picks. Right. An 88-yard return for a two-point conversion. The Buffaloes' offense had generated 78 yards at that Correct. point. At that point. At that point. Now, obviously, it got a little bit better, but uh, a loss for Colorado. They, they played better football, but given the late change, uh, or who knows how late, because the funny thing is, the Buffs didn't really announce at any point that Pat Shermer was taking over play calling duties. It was just sort of reported in multiple outlets and it wasn't refuted. Pat Shermer takes over for Sean Lewis. Now I I made the argument on Friday when you were off that I get that's a tough decision. I think it needed to be made because it, it was evident that the offensive line problems the Buffaloes have were not going to be alleviated this year, whether it was injury or just overall talent. So, just like you do when your backup quarterback has to take over for a, a month or the rest of the year, you change your offense to compensate. You have to understand what you can do and what you can't do. I don't believe Lewis had done that particularly well, if at all, and so I didn't have a problem in general with the change. The problem is, is Pat Shermer the guy? And presumably the answer would be no, but he's what they had available at the moment. And in less than a week, I think there were some things. I, I get it, and I know this, this segment's going to go. I do. I get it. Uh, They lost. I understand how the end of the first half goes and all that criticism is valid. But I think the decision needed to be made. I'm just not sure if it was handled correctly or if it was given to the right person. That said, I still think there were some things that you can build on going into Arizona, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, uh, the coach who says he runs the uh, most transparent program in America. Yeah, at no point did we notice. Was there an announcement about the switchover? Yeah. runs the kind of program that every losing coach runs, and that's a closed-off program. Even some winning programs are pretty closed off. 
They don't say anything to anybody anytime. They don't feel they need to do that. Although their constituency, uh, made up of boosters who uh, often contribute uh, in ways both that they should and shouldn't, uh, the ones who are supporting the program legitimately probably would like some degree of transparency. And Dion boasted about that after the UCLA game when he said, Shadur Sanders, his son, the quarterback, had to go into the locker room, get shot up at halftime in order to play in the second half. And we're using that as a vehicle to uh, undercut the offensive line coach, I thought, as much as anyone. Uh, players are who they are, and it, the play in the offensive line, even in the opener against TCU, wasn't especially good. But the play calling was sensational in that game. And in... CU's previous four home games, they were averaging 40.8 points per game. Uh, they scored 19 the other night. You just heard two of the 19, and that had nothing to do with Pat Shermer's play calling. To go from that saying, you know, about his son, he got shot up at halftime, and I'm always going to be 100% open. That's what he said after mm-hmm. UCLA. To be completely closed off, not only failing to announce the decision, but then after the game, failing to explain in any way, shape, or form the reasons for it. All he'd say is we're not going to demean Sean Lewis. Coach, you're the only one demeaning him by demoting him. You took the action. Nobody forced you to take that action. You took that action, which is you're right. You're the head coach. But don't put it on somebody asking a question question about it. Don't demean my man Sean Lewis. We just needed change at the time. Yeah, for the sake of change. We needed to try something else. Well, what they didn't try was affording Shadur Sanders additional pass protection, something that Brock Osweiler commented on throughout the game on ESPN Saturday night. He said, where's the help for the tackles? And Dion's talking about, well, I like tight ends to stay in to block. If we're going to throw to the third target, I'd rather a wide receiver be out there. Okay. Tight, tight ends weren't kept into block. Yeah, like that's a reasonable but, explanation, but, but it's but, not but what it's happened. It's not true. It's not what Are happened. Are you watching the game? There Are were a you couple paying times there any were two attention, back sets, or are you Vic new. Fangio? An even less competent version of Vic Fangio as a head coach. You just uh, you don't even watch the game, especially when your son is out on the field, and all you can say is my son gets beat up. Well, why don't you advise whoever the play caller is? And Sean Lewis certainly wasn't perfect. Um, maybe we try to keep one person apart from the five along the offensive line in to help, if not two. They never did it. I, and I mean never throughout the course of the game. So I don't know what game he thought he was watching where tight ends were helping out offensive linemen and pass protection, but he wasn't watching the game that was actually played and increasingly we're wondering that about Deion Sanders. Are you really watching the game as it's going on? And, you know, apart from Oregon, which he does acknowledge was a bad loss in a game they were never in. Listen, they were never in the game against USC. I know the final score was close. They, they, they never in danger kind of, of winning the game the other night. You're correct about that. They, they were never in danger of winning the game the other night. It was 21-3, to and the coach on the other sideline, who may or may not have been trying to show up, Deion Sanders, as a lot of coaches do, mm-hmm. takes literally takes an extra point off the board to move the football. What? 
half the distance yeah. of the goal from the three, mm-hmm. and then decides to go for, go for two. For two. He's up 18. So he's no genius either, and he almost cost his team the game. If CU had any idea what it was doing offensively, it might have cost his team the game. And I, I, I don't know this guy, and nothing he said after the game proved or disproved the idea that he was trying to run up the score by going for two with a huge lead and taking a point off the board. The score should have been 21 to three, not 20 to five. Three points, if there had been more time left in the game, could have made a big difference. Yeah. His defense yeah. is another guy who doesn't watch. He's an offensive coach. Right. Right. He doesn't watch when his defense is on the field. If he did, he'd know the Oregon State defense stinks. It's bad. It's a middle of the road Pac 12 defense. And the Pac 12 has the best quarterbacks in the country. They have the worst defenses in the country of any of the Power 5 conferences. That's just a statistical I mean, USC just got around to firing its defensive coordinator. They're giving up more than 40 points a game this year. They got 52 the other night to a slumping Washington team. Mm -hmm. Put 52 on them. They finally fired the coordinator. Maybe Sean Lewis ought to be more like Charles Kelly, who runs up and down the sidelines every game day or game night, throwing temper tantrums, and berating his players, getting red-faced, screaming at them during stoppages at, at, in at play. One point, Maybe uh, Sean Lewis ought to be more like that because Deion Sanders seems to love him. And I'm not Charles joking, I, and I, I will give Kelly credit for this, for his voice, because I am, I am up in the, in the press box. The press box is on the opposite sideline of where the Buffaloes are. Uh, late in the game, and by the way, we can get into the complete mismanagement of the timeouts at the end of a game. I understand the game was close out of reach, but you have to call timeouts and make them snap it in case Joe Pisarczyk and Herman Edwards happens again. Something, you got to make them snap it. But you could hear Kelly shout, timeout, timeout, in the press box, on the other side of the stadium, which was full with crowded people. You could hear it. I mean, <laughs> give him credit for that. I don't well, know the man can speak, but I mean, again, but you're right. There does I'd rather seem to have the right number of people. Yeah, on the field. and that and, was still a bit of an issue. Not blame everybody, but himself for all the mistakes that the defense makes. And and I'm sorry, I I like this quarterback at Oregon State, and maybe some NFL team will draft him in the sixth or seventh round. I mean, I, I, but I, 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 I saw the, the other night why Clemson Louis wanted no part of him. Yeah, it, 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 I saw the say other it. night why they didn't want any part of him. And he's thrown against the, the the worst defense probably in the Pac-12 or very close to it, and I wasn't all that overwhelmed. That that game should have been a 30-point game, especially since the coach seemed to want to pile up the points in whatever circumstances he could add on one. The funny two. thing is they could have done that if they would have just kept running. <laughs> Actually, they were like, running fine. Yeah. Now, I get the idea that both their running backs fumbled in the first half, so maybe that turned them off. It could be. Uh, a little bit and made, made them throw more than they should have. And and the kid does. He's I mean, a big kid, 6'4", 250, something like that. Yeah. Throws oh, yeah. a good ball. He sure has does. a good arm. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes the ball's 10 yards over his receiver's head or 10 yards in one direction or, or the other. Oregon State is, is not that good. I understand they're ranked 60. And I, I think from what I've been able to gather this year, they're pretty well coached. I think so. I, I, I don't know what to make of that two-point conversion decision, but 
I I just think that when one of your backers and a knowledgeable sports person, such as Samuel L. Jackson, okay, all right, goes on social media in the middle of the third straight loss by CU and taps this out, brain farts all around. <laughs> The OC can't call three run plays to get off the field. That's what he should have done at the end of the first half. And CU would have been quite a bit closer at halftime than it was. The defensive coordinator can't get his guys to stop a baby carriage. Shador can barely walk and is going to end up playing wheelchair football behind that O-line. My rage is better served watching villains in a good Bollywood movie. I have to take and his word for that. Say, I'm not up on my Bollywood, but I, I'm not either. But uh, but he I did will, have more to say. Even he had more to say about, that was critical of Dion. Uh, of Dion in particular, because someone had re- replied to him, and he's obviously like, no criticism for the head coach. Uh, a person replied and said, no criticism for the head coach. I see. Jackson said, looked like he was just standing around yep. watching. Did that you see him using a mic or communicating with any other coach no. before the half was over? No, he's fed Fangio. He's Vic Fangio on the sideline. He doesn't talk to any players except to yell at them. This is Dion, And he doesn't talk to other coaches ever. And, and you remember Vic Fangio would talk to Ed Donatel, his good friend on the sideline. Mm-hmm. It literally talked to nobody else. Never talked to a player except to scream at him. And the player would often, Shelby Harris, scream mm-hmm. right back at Vic Fangio and let him have it um, because he didn't know what he was talking about. Um, in at least Shelby Harris's opinion, Shelby Harris now pretty good player. Had a nice a, uh, had a nice, nice game yesterday with the uh, Cleveland Browns. The best defense, the best defense in, the in the NFL by, by a country yeah, by a, mile, yeah, very wide margin. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, I <laughs> I agree with Jackson. The offensive coordinator is a proven failure. I thought Sean Keeler in the post had a good line today. The only things missing from the Pat Shermer bingo card in his CU play-calling debut were a tight end screen, we all remember those, oh, to yeah. Noah Fant, and a Melvin Gordon fumble, a boy can dream. You know, uh, Yeah, that was about all that was missing. And I'll tell you what, I'll say this for Shadur Sanders. One, he's in the Hall of Fame, the tough. And two, he didn't turn the ball over. Nope. And you know what else he is? Sandy, he's pretty savvy when it comes to the post game. He is because he was much more savvy by, than his father. I believe by the way. we'll hear the uh, voice of Sean Keeler. I believe asking a very important question, asking a comparison about the play callers. You were Shadur. You mentioned it's not much difference between the two play callers, but were there differences in tempo and in in any, maybe names tonight or these ideas? And who would you like to see that were up to you be the play caller going forward? I mean, at that point, you just asked me just a setup question at that. Like, like you just. You just want just a headline question. I'm not even going to answer that, honestly. I can't even answer that. Look, I, and you know what? It, that's one of those things where I'm not mad at anybody. You have to ask the question. Yes. And I don't really have a problem with Shooter Sanders not wanting to well make his coach, who he may have a very good relationship I, I, with Sean Lewis. He sure indicated he has. Yeah. I, I he's not going to hang out his, his coach out to dry like that. No, but but where I, and I love Sean Keeler, and I think Sean Keeler may be thinking back on it, should have left it at, did you see the difference between the way the plays are called tonight and the way the plays have been called? 
And Could he still be. might have dodged that, but yeah. I would have left it at that. The, the who would you like to see calling plays part of you know he's not going to answer that. Right. But but just go with the first part of it. Did you see any difference? And if you did, educate. Me. I see. I will say did I you saw see some difference in the play calling that were positive, and and I I there I think there were. Now was it very Pat Shermery? It sure was. But I do think there were some efforts, and yes, we can talk about the, the Shermer offense and the tight ends. And there was, I get all that. I do, and there's nothing wrong with it. But there were things that Sean Lewis wasn't doing that Shermer did try. There were more crossing routes. Travis Hunter was running routes, running over the crossing routes over the middle. I've been at the majority of those games. Every single one of those home games, I can count on one hand how many times Travis Hunter's run a, a crossing route up until last night. There were opportunities to try to get Anthony Hankerson might have scored a touchdown on a on a very clever fake handoff up the middle, then tossed to Hankerson, who just slipped because he had the entire field in front of him. There were some things that were designed to accelerate the ball getting out faster and help Sanders not get hit. And I argue, I would argue that two of the four sacks he took were on Shadur where he's trying his best to man. We've explained this before. He's trying. He understands his offense. The only plays they make are explosive plays, and he's trying to extend the play as much as possible to find an explosive play. But two of those sacks were on him. So am I saying the offense looked good? No. But am I saying that I saw changes, an effort to work around the offensive line problems, that it cannot be alleviated in this season? I did. And... That, at least to my mind, is some progress, even if the, the end result, because, like I said, to start the, start the program. I don't think Pat Shermer's the right guy, but Shermer did at least make an effort that Lewis did not to alter the way the game was played to try to make sure that Shadur Sanders could get the ball out of his hand faster. I just have one more question. I, mean, I realize that's damning with faint praise, but I, but I think there's value to it. You're, you're up there, and you know the dynamics, perhaps, inside the program better than I do. Why do I have the sneaking suspicion that they'd like to fire the offensive line coach, who happens to be very, very close friends with Sean Lewis? Worth noting that, that Pat Shermer reportedly, remember the bus has not talked about this, will be also assisting with the offensive line where he has coached in college in the past. Um, it would he knows not, he can't fire the offense. It would line. not be a good look so in his first season for Deion does, Sanders to move on from all of those guys what, before the season even moves on. What what he does is, and I think it's I think it's despicable, frankly, that coaches do this. Fire the guy if you don't like him. Probably wait until the end of the year. That would be a little more tasteful. But fire the offensive line coach. This is George Steinbrenner telling Billy Martin, I'm not going to fire you, but I'll fire your pitching coach. Right. I'll fire the person on the coaching staff who's the closest to you, just as a reminder that I'm running things here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what kind of internal revolt there's been against Dion, but he's sure acting like someone, he's acting like Captain Quig, frankly. And I think he's trying to get a message to Sean Lewis by not only demoting him, but clearly attacking his closest friend on the coaching staff. 
the offensive now, line coach. The offensive line Just, has not been good. Fire Let's, the offense. But but a week ago, Dion saying, "Well, we get new players." I, as, last time fair. I looked, the offensive line coach isn't scouring the transfer portal. That's, fair. that's Dion. And and, it would, and the last time it I looked, the offensive fair. line coach ain't recruiting. That's right. Dion. In fact, uh, I, I was on a show on this radio station yesterday in which it was suggested that Deion Sanders is a proven ace recruiter. And I'm like, in whose in mind the, is in that? The transfer portal, yes. In whose mind? His recruiting, his, we don't know yet. His 2024 recruiting class right now, right now. is pegged well below the good. 2025 and right looks in better the, than the 2024. Right, right, right in the middle, if my math is correct, there are 133 FBS teams. Mm-hmm. If you're 66, that puts you as close to smack dab in the middle as you can be. It does. That's where they rank in recruiting for next year. Well, this is your program, too. I want to give you an opportunity to weigh in. 303-831-1340 is the caller text line. Uh, the Avalanche, actually, boy, we're talking about teams that had a bad weekend in Denver. Uh, the Broncos might have had one of the very best because they didn't lose. A whole bunch of for other teams. a third straight Sunday. Yeah, a whole bunch of and other teams did. And four in a row this coming Sunday. Four weeks in a row in which, which they, they have not on lost Sunday. on Sunday. The Colorado Avalanche went to Vegas hoping to make a statement. Uh, instead, it came and up they all... Did. Yeah, they did. It came up all sevens for the Golden Knights in Vegas. Good for them. Not so good for the Avs. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Marciusso, Theodore feeds it. Eichel, and a spin away from the Chuskin. Theodore keeps it in right on the line. Stone across. Eichel, Sean, score! Jack Eichel, second of the period. This one on the power play, and the Golden Knights have broken open. Seconds apart. In at the point. Eichel gets it. There's the pass. Look at the reach. Keeps it in right to Stone. Stone to Eichel. And that is past Georgiev. Here's the play at the blue line. Great job to keep it in. Good cross seam pass. And a great finish from Eichel. And a little delay at the Avalanche. Yeah, you, I, I love that the Vegas uh, television broadcast, and that, that was their broadcast there has that slot machine jingle, and you hear it in the state in the uh, arena when they score. That's what it felt like. I mean, it's the easy Vegas joke. Came up sevens. The Knights yeah. beat the Avalanche 7-0. It was 1-0 after one, and then they coughed up three goals in each of the next three periods. Uh, over the last five games, and this is not a goals against average, but over the last five games in which Alexander Georgiev has been in net, the Avalanche have surrendered 4.4 goals per game, and not a single game in which they surrendered fewer than three. Correct. And I would make the argument, though Georgiev has not been sharp, it has been more, and I'm not even, you think I'm going to say the defense. I'm not. It's been the offense letting them down, and not by the lack of scoring. Yes, but by giving the puck away. Sloppy, lackadaisical skating in the offensive zone has really become problematic for this Avs team. Well, I mean, I get it. I know where the record is. We're not going to go bonkers. But but when they lose, you're you're seeing a pattern. Listen to this. The Avs had five takeaways and six giveaways. 
in the game. Las Vegas had 11 takeaways and three giveaways. That tells you all you need to know, and it's why Jared Bednar said after the game, Las Vegas forces you to beat them. We're just the opposite right now. Right. We beat ourselves. We we just hand goals away. We, we just give them away. And, you know, you, the newcomers in general, I thought, started well this year. And they continued that road winning streak up to 15. Maybe this is a, a bit of payback, a regression to the mean, because they've been awful in their last three road games. They've been outscored 15 to nothing. And their last three road games, uh, 15, let's see, they won 15 straight road games, and then they got outscored in the next three road games, 15 to nothing. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Joe Hansen, at even strength this year, has no points. Tatar had one shot on goal in his first eight games. He had more than that the other night. I get it, but one shot on goal the first eight games, then he was benched. Gruen, who actually I thought was one of their better skaters I the do other night. I too. I really did. I... Zero points since opening night. Now, is he a bit snake-bitten? Yes. I think so. Yes. Uh, Colton and Wood, one non-empty net goal between them this year. Although, I thought Wood, O'Connor, and Bruin, damning with faint praise, were their best forwards yeah. the other night. And I won't pick out a best defenseman because there wasn't one. They were all equally terrible. And the goaltending was subpar to the point now where Georgiev, who was up at .965 yeah. during the uh, tail end of the 15-game road streak when they started 6-0, and he's gone from .965 to .899 now with a 2.92 goals mm-hmm. against and a record of 6-3. and three. And, of course, uh, uh, Prosvetov played well in the game yeah. he played at home, admittedly, against St. Louis, a weaker team than Las Vegas. But to just put it in perspective, the Avalanche have lost three games this year. The Las Vegas Golden Knights have lost two games this year, right. one in overtime and one a come-from-ahead loss to Anaheim, which has been a decent team so far this year, but Anaheim doesn't have many, if any, realistic playoff prospects in 23-24. So everybody has an off night. But the Avalanche have put up three stinkers in succession on the road. Uh, One in Buffalo resulted in a player who was injured during the game saying he got injured, Kale McCarr, because he was being, quote-unquote, casual. Casual was his term. Yes, uh, casual. Could have said lazy, but we uh, casual, uh, a pretty harsh and appropriate critique of his own play. And Nathan McKinnon, who was on the ice, I believe, for two shorthanded goals by Mm -hmm. Las Vegas the other night, flat out gave them one by giving the puck away. And frankly, up to this point, all things considered, 10 games in, I don't think Nathan McKinnon's been all that good. Now, are the Avalanche like the Edmonton Oilers scratching to win a game 
<laughs> anywhere, anytime, any place. Exactly. Not exactly. And Connor McDavid is perfectly healthy. Oh, by the way. So, you know, I don't expect McKinnon to be able to drag along a team that's playing poorly, at least on the road right now, uh, by himself. But he's got to play better than he's played. Rantanen's got to be better than he was the other night. Lekkonen was bad. Uh, Johansson, Shushkin was terrible. That's as bad a game as I've seen Shushkin play in an avalanche uniform. Uh, Wood and O'Connor were okay and earned the ice time for third liners of 14 minutes plus. And it, O'Connor almost played 15 minutes in the game. Uh, fourth line was not very good, but hardly the cause of recent avalanche struggles on the road. Going forward, uh, they will play on Tuesday. They have the TNT game. Uh, today, by the way, Jared Bednar missed practice, was uh, feeling uh, under the weather, so missed practice. Boy, there's a lot of that. Well, it's fall. Going around. I mean, it's, it's fall. fall, flu yeah, season, virus at, season. Yeah, yeah, COVID's back. Who knows? You know, wasn't, uh, Gary Barnett, COVID, uh, the, the Colorado analyst, who yep. I was uh, hoping to hear on Saturday night, he was homesick. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you pointed at the beginning of the uh, program, the Colorado, you weren't aware if they beat Nebraska in the 1990s. Uh, they beat them, of course, in the champion season of 1990. They beat the uh, they beat Nebraska when they were well, the that's right. yeah, they ninth racked team. I mean, right. But they were, yeah, after, they won when after. they were number nine. They beat number three, Nebraska, 27 12. They actually had a stretch 12. that ended with a tie game. 1991. In which for four years, they were 3 1991, we talked about the, the last time the Buffs ran a two point back for. A block to you know for theirs. Uh, that was Beaker. That was a tie, yeah. nineteen nineteen tie. They did not beat the Cornhuskers for the remainder of the nineteen nineties. Correct. Not yeah, winning again right. until that sixty two. No, 36 I, I remember the nineteen ninety Nebraska in two thousand one. Lincoln driving yeah. rainstorm. Eric Bieniemy fumbles four times in the first three quarters. Um, but beside right. himself, but his team around him. This kind of team they had that year kept him. McCartney didn't bench him. Could have, didn't. Um, after the second fumble, you might have thought about doing it. <laughs> about the fourth, how he stayed in the game, but he stayed in the game, and he led the charge in the fourth quarter. They scored 27 unanswered points in a rainstorm to whip Nebraska 27-12, and Tom Osborne was so impressed that in the final coach's poll, he voted for Georgia Tech right. over, uh, over the yeah. University of Colorado. Yep. Don't miss that guy. But, yes, after that, uh, the Buffs had lost basically the, the tie in 91. They had lost uh, from 92 on until 2001, right. including uh, five straight games in which they uh, were ranked. Year, though. And four out of those five, they were ranked in the and, top ten. Uh, Nebraska is the only winning team Colorado has beaten. You say, what about TCU? TCU's four and five. Nebraska's five and four. Colorado's actually on a three-game winning streak over Nebraska. The last time that had happened was between 1956 and yeah. 1958. So it hasn't happened very often. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at this. Oh, wow. They beat them in 86 here. Huge upset. Yes. They lost to Colorado yes. State. Uh, they were unranked and they beat Nebraska, who was ranked third. Uh, 89, they beat them here. Correct. 90, they beat them there. Correct. 91, they tied here. Yep. So, for a period of about six years, they were, and they were like 3-2-1 and one against Nebraska. And Nebraska. And it really was a rivalry. When they beat Nebraska, Nebraska, those three times, admit. as you put it, uh, yeah, that 86-90 to 90 window. Uh, when Colorado won, they won 20 to 10. Nebraska was ranked third. Nebraska in 87 was ranked fifth and thumped the, the Buffs 24 yeah. 7. Yeah. They were ranked seventh. The Buffs were ranked 19th in 1988. And that was a 7 0 game. game. And in then, Lincoln. when the, the 1989 game was a 
I mean that that's a that's that was a, a classic. I was it's there a number three one. versus number two. Yes, that was uh, a classic. It, and so they they get that one in Boulder. They win twenty seven ten, and then the the number nine that was the over best the number game three. Ever at Folsom Field. Yeah, in my so view, to this day, it's uh, but you know, it's it's it had been a window of time. You were exactly right, and the. You look at those great rivalries, and the Avs had those with the Red Wings. But I think the Avs' great rival now actually is I agree. the Knights. And I, I think it's great. I, I think it's great. You're talking about a, a geographical rivalry. Yeah. They're both in the West. Yep. Uh, they have done what the Avs and Red Wings did at one point, yeah. swapped out years with the Cup. Uh, there's, yes. there's a lot to like. And, and these yes. two teams actually kind of see each other as a benchmark. And at least so. uh, this weekend. And, and there is a legitimate. There's kind a, of disdain, a, yeah. There is uh, between the two teams, there which I, I don't think rivals Avs Red Wings. No, exactly. But it's more than exists, and and people try to put Dallas up there as an Avalanche rival, and I suppose uh, you, you could make that case. And Dallas certainly is no pushover, tough team for the Avalanche to play against. But I I agree with you. They're big rival. In the NHL right now is Las Vegas. It is, and uh, I think that's a tremendous amount of fun. Now, this this one not a not a good look, but as you correctly pointed it out, you're like, well, okay, but things are still looking pretty darn good when you're looking at the the overall standings. When you're looking at the fact, you're right that the Avs aren't scraping by to to win games, and injuries have not been much of an issue. They are one that stands right now. They are one point out of first in the Central, behind the Stars, Golden Knights, of course. Uh, still leading the entire conference with 23 points. The Avs will be act back in action tomorrow against the New Jersey Devils. That'll be uh, here. The Devils off to a good start, actually. Same, uh, roughly the same as the Avs. 15 points in 11 yeah. games. The Avs at the 14 in 10 uh, with a 4-1 and road record. So Devils making a little bit of noise, an opportunity to bounce back. Hopefully Jared Bednar feels better uh, and has an opportunity to coach tomorrow, but uh, missed practice today. And if you were at practice, by the way, remember, the Avs still practice over at Family Sports in Centennial. Uh, if you missed practice today and didn't go out, just like bring the kids, you know, for free, because you could, you um, you missed a pretty good little pickup game because uh, some guys came out. Some guys came out. Um, Peter Forsberg, Joe Sackick, and Milan Hayduke were skating together on the ice today. That might have been fun to see. <laughs> in case you were out there, so uh, enjoy that as well. Could they, could uh, they team up tomorrow night? Uh, yeah, are any of them still uh, still feeling good, feeling all right about it? You know, uh, you know, a couple of them maybe they had a few guys out there who might be able it's been to. Fifteen years since Peter. Uh, it's been a little bit, but uh, hurt his foot for one of the. Yeah, it probably feels really better now, right? Yeah, well, we should probably we should check, but uh, they'll be back at it on uh, tomorrow night. Milan's we'll talk about that a little bit Harvard. more. Good player. Mm-hmm. So good and, to see those guys a little bit. Whatever happened to Chip? He did something. Year. Stuck with a caught on with some hockey team somewhere. I don't know. Won another cup. Did his thing. You know, this <laughs> is working out so so far. But uh, but bad game for the Avs, and they definitely want to. That's not you want to follow that up with a win tomorrow. It's not the end of the world. But you would like to, uh, you, you would wanna, you, you would win. you would like to think you want to win. They they they've had their early season quota of no shows. Yeah, they the actually really have. games. They have. Uh, they they need to show up and look like they want one against the former Colorado Rockies. By the way. Speaking of teams who took the L over the course of the weekend, uh, we're not done with them yet. There's still a couple more. Uh, obviously, Wyoming takes the uh, bronze boot at the border war, and yeah. Air Force does something oh. they've never done against Army. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It's been incredibly impressive. This is a really good Air Force team. Larrier down, Lowen into the backfield. Fumble. And Army says it has it. Army football. Another turnover. Lowen has been a wrecking crew. Not kidding there. The folks from CBS Sports Network on the call. Leo Lowen for Army. 12 tackles, nine of them solo, a sack, two tackles for loss, a pass defense, forced to fumble. I don't know what else uh, you want out of the man. The Army Black Knights uh, absolutely ambushed Air Force, who had the best chance, you know, according to the odds, to finishing the season unbeaten. Are we, are we sure they didn't change uniforms? Yeah, pretty sure. And the while that happens down at, at Empower Field at Mile High, uh, it ends up being 23-3 to as the final. Sandy... Not only the first loss for the Falcons, but get this. On the, the broadcast, they, they gave a number that was almost unbelievable. Almost absolutely unbelievable. That was the first time that Army football has taken a 20-point lead into the fourth quarter of a game. Since 1958. Not against Air Force, because obviously, by the way, the Air Force Academy was wasn't even Colonel there. Blake still coaching? Army I, back then, I believe he might well have been. Air Force Academy didn't even exist. Well, no, no, I mean at the Army. Right. I'm talking about Army. Well, I'm saying that that wasn't, I mean, that, that, wasn't, was, uh, that was Earl Blake, wasn't it? Back in 1958, coaching I'd have to even look it up, but you're talking about. Well, no, I know Air Force was what, early 50s? That's a, I mean, that's, a, that's ev- I mean, we're talking about the entire. Yeah. That. I, I I actually and to, I saw I had believe to double it or not, check in the I mean, mid sixties. I, really I saw some good army team. I had to double check and, and think. Well, they must mean, you know, they must mean that uh, in this rivalry, they didn't yeah. mean in this rivalry. Yeah. They meant army. Period. Overall. As a program, had not taken a twenty point lead into the fourth quarter since nice. nineteen fifty eight. That was the second season, by the way. That the Air Force Academy even had football. They started football in 1957. Okay, the academy opened in 52, right? I something. something like that. It was something right like that. that. Yeah, the the program started in 57. Yeah. But I that's I had originally assumed like, well, that must mean in the, uh, you know, in the rivalry. No, 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 just no, army. No, no okay. at all. Every year well, since 1958. That was a um, that wasn't great for your Air Force. No, it's one it, game it, you have to it, put it, it away, but. Game. And, and Air Force does have a tendency, um, and I think it's due to the supreme effort they make almost every week. They have a tendency, just about every year, once or twice, they really lay an egg. And it's a shame it had to come against an Army team that really isn't as good as Navy. And, and I started to think about that. In the two games against Army and Navy this year, Air Force got outscored, and they weren't that good against Navy. Navy was just terrible, and the Air Force defense showed up. The Air Force defense wasn't the cause of the loss the other day. The turnovers were. And while I uh, admire the quarterback's uh, toughness um, after the knee injury against Wyoming, uh, and after that game, by the way, uh, Troy Calhoun, the head coach, said 
thought he was out for the year with that injury. Came back and played the next week. Wasn't great, but it was good to see him out there. Uh, he's got this brace on his left knee now. Yeah. And he can't move. He, he can't move. And and so Army, very intelligent. Army practices against option football all the time. That's what they run. Mm-hmm. So option football is not a, you know, Rubik's Cube deal. That, you know, they, they, they aren't used to seeing. They knew the quarterback couldn't move, and they took away the fullback. And you do that, and all those outside runs, they don't seem to materialize in quite the same way. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it was 23-3, to three and I'm watching, and I know Air Force isn't built to come from behind, but I'm thinking that they're, they're lucky to get a first down. Army has won five of the last seven yeah. against Air Force. Now. Army gives Air Force fits. five of the last seven. The way Air Force just beats up every year on CSU. And by the way, the, the two the two wins in the last seven seasons for Air Force a six point win on the road in two thousand twenty two, yep. and a four point win in Colorado Springs in two thousand nineteen. Yeah. I, now Army has been better in recent years. Yeah. Under Monkin. Hmm. Uh, better than Navy. They broke that long losing streak to Navy with Monken as a coach, and they, they lost to UMass though this year. I mean, even after winning the other day, they're three and six. The Athletic ranked them something like a hundred eighth or a hundred ninth in the country out of one hundred thirty three teams. Even after beating Air Force, and Air Force, needless to say, is out of everybody's top twenty five. Air Force, yeah, Air Force and probably um, for good. I would think so. 38 and uh, 19 and 1 in the series overall. The one, by the way, uh, how I kind of knew that they didn't mean with that 1958 number uh, <laughs> just against this series because they didn't play until 1959, which is the only tie they've ever had in the series, 13 really? to 13. Really? First year they had a tie. And that's yeah. the only tie that's ever happened in the entire series, but it was 1959. Was Blake the coach in 58? Now that's bugging me. <laughs> At Army? At Army. Uh, a little before my time, but I do have a, I have a computer that will allow me to Google things. So the only coach that I can think of who wasn't an older basketball coach, because the late Bob Knight admired, we all know the player bees and the right. Ibas and the Pete Newells and all that had great respect for his elders. You nailed it. Absolutely. The only non-basketball coach Knight ever spoke of with reverence was Colonel Earl Blake. That Red Blake uh, coach team in 1958 went 8-0-1 that year, finishing with a tied for the third best record out of 112 qualifying teams. But uh, Vince Lombardi learned his football, he said, from Colonel Earl Blake. Seems the record pretty good, obviously. But, yeah, that's how long it's been. So a a rough loss for Air Force. I don't think... Uh, it's going to diminish them too much. I mean, I think they're probably still going to finish maybe with one loss and get a really good bowl. That they were never going to be in the college football playoff. But, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a. It's too bad. They yeah, had, they had an undefeated it's a sting to the season. prize, and they, and they were basically in their sights. And they, they also and they were the home team. I get it. It was in Denver, but it's it was still there the home team. Well, absolutely. Oh yeah, the, the crowd was fully Air Force. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, they had a chance. Not that they would have won. They had a chance to go to a bowl, either on New Year's Day or right around New Year's Day, Haven't and done play that somebody like 
Texas. Yeah. Maybe a top 10 ranked And maybe team. surprise them because that team isn't used them. to seeing them. Right. Yeah. Right. And I guess the uh, current feeling in college football is that uh, through results and perhaps controversy centering on the University of Michigan, the wolf is back in the hen house for the college football playoff. The wolf, of course, Alabama. Yep. We'll see how it all shakes out. Of course, smashed uh, uh, the uh, new Rockney, Ryan Kelly, and his LSU Tigers, in spite of uh, Lane Kiffin's pleas to uh, the Tigers to uh, beat Alabama and give Ole Miss a chance to overcome its earlier season loss to the Crimson Tide. Uh, it was not close, and I'll tell you, the LSU quarterback can play, though. Yeah, they he can play. They're getting down to it. Uh, He's obviously. a slightly bigger version of Lamar Jackson. He can play, and he was hit with a cheap shot in the fourth quarter and got concussed, but uh, he can play. Not that they would have won anyway, because they don't defend either. They belong <laughs> in the Pac-12. True. LSU belongs in the Pac-12. They don't play any defense. But, yeah, you, you, you do look at Jaden Daniels' numbers there, 2,792 oh, yards, 27 touchdowns, only four picks. He, he is and that includes 684 rushing Sanders yards and six touchdowns. played for LSU, he might be close, but he wouldn't, I don't think, be the equal of Daniels. A, I think Daniels is the best quarterback in the country. Unfortunately, tough game. Uh, we talked about it on Friday. The Rams going into uh, Laramie. They lose 24-15. to 15. They give it a run, but the turnover is uh, a bit too much. Uh, Laramie's a tough place to play. I think if you're Colorado State, they fall to 3-6. Well, I mean, it's just better. It's, uh, they're, they're, better. better. they're better. And they're better. Uh, but it's uh, that one, I think, was always a bit of a long shot for the Rams on the road. But here they are. They have three more games. They would have to win out to get bowl eligibility. It's not outside the realm of possibility if they can find a way to topple San Diego State, which is going to be awfully tough, but they will have an opportunity to do that. It is at home on Saturday night, uh, November 11th. Uh, that will be a primetime game. CBS Sports Network on the call for the Rams. They'll need to get that and the games against Nevada and Hawaii to become bowl eligible for Air Force. Bowl eligibility is not much of an issue. They will take on Hawaii next Saturday as well. They'll do that uh, out in uh, Oahu. So that'll be a very late start and not uh, not televised for a change for the Falcons, but I expect them to get back on it pretty quick. It is Monday, which means we have an opportunity to uh, get set for our work week with Mental Monday, get our checkup from the neck up with our friend Dr. Rick Priya from think14u.org. We'll do that next on My Life Sports. Oh, Lord, Lord. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Listen to me. 